Welcome to SVCC Weekly, a weekly podcast from Sangman Valley Christian Center in Muhammad, Illinois. We hope you enjoy this message from our church, and be sure to check us out online at www.sangmanvalley.net. Luckily, I've been encouraging you to read along, so yes, uh, I may not read through every uh, word, but I would strongly encourage you. We're at the point we're really covering a, uh, a chapter a week. We start off the first sections doing two two chapters that kind of float a little better, but now we're going to slow down a little bit and go to a chapter a week, uh, and then probably around Thanksgiving, Christmas time, there may be a few weeks uh, we'll be out of the book of 1 Corinthians, which I say all that to let you know, um, we're going to be in here really, we'll continue this series into the new year, because uh, I don't want to rush through here, I think there's a lot that the Lord has for us, and so although we may take a few little uh, breaks around the holidays, uh, we're going to be studying this this book uh, for a little while, and so uh, I'll kind of tell you each Sunday so you can read ahead, uh, and if you miss the Sunday and forget, uh, it's only a chapter, uh, hopefully you can uh, make it up and read two chapters uh, in one week, but uh, this week you're supposed to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, and next week you can read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 or 7 and 8 if you missed it uh, for this week. But last, the last few weeks, just to let you know kind of where we've been, we started off by looking uh, in chapters 1 and 2 at the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of the Lord and the power of the Lord. Then we looked at living a life that matters or living a life that matters in the power of God. Last week we looked at a healthy local church. What does it mean to be a healthy local church? And then this week we're going to continue on uh, into chapter 7, which is really instructions on sexual morality. Uh, The previous section addressed sexual immorality. This week it's looking at sexual morality and really the kind of the goal of what Paul is getting at in this section of scripture, uh, and he repeats it in at least three different verses, but he, he says, do not change your status. Um, so just to give you an idea of what he's referring to here, let me just read starting at verse one. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So remember, I told you before, there, there's some letters that have gone back and forth. This is another uh, clue that there's been some letters, and although those aren't Scripture, um, God breathed, 1 Corinthians is. Um, he is addressing here in 1 Corinthians some previous correspondence with the church. It says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Andrea was asking uh, what I was preaching on today, and so I said, well, let's read it together. And I stopped right there for her. I won't do that this morning. Hopefully she's off feeding the baby. And then it goes on. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And I actually did jump down to verse 5, too. It says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. We're adults in the room, right? You know what that's talking about. S-E-X. Okay. (laughs) That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Let me uh, highlight that verse for a second. Paul has been pretty 
hard on them up until really this chapter. Chapters 1 through 6, he, he's, he's kind of letting them have it. They've done a lot of things wrong. He's saying, look, you've you got to correct some things here. You, you've been puffed up about sin. You, you've been prideful. You've been saying what is sin is okay and it's not. And here, he's now coming and he, he says, look, this is kind of a concession. This isn't a commandment. So he's addressing some things that they've written back and forth on, but his, his tone is actually a little bit softer. Because part of what he's addressing here is being married or not married. And he has his own ideas, and he's single. But he, you'll kind of notice, as you've read through this section, he, he goes back and forth on a few of these things because it's not as strong language. There's some options that are here. Verse 7 says, For I wish that all men were given even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. In other words, unmarried. Then verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Better to marry than burn with passion. That's still talking about that three-letter word there, by the way, in case you're confused. A few things to highlight, not just from here, but through the rest of uh, the chapter. The Corinthian church was really believed uh, pressuring people to dissolve or abstain from marriage. In fact, the next section goes on and talks about what if you're married to a non-believer and address, addresses that situation. Because uh, they were really encouraging people, look, to truly be spiritual, you shouldn't be married. Or if you are married, you don't need to be married. And so Paul's kind of addressing some of that and correcting some of it, yet still saying, look, there are, there are some options. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be single. In fact, it could be said that some were teaching in the church that even if you were married, to abstain from sex. Oops, sorry, I didn't spell it out for you. <laughs> but he's really saying, look, if, if you do that, he makes it clear, you're, you're giving place to the devil to tempt you. Part of what tells us in the, some churches and, and more traditional teaching has really said, well, sex is just for procreation. And yet here, Paul makes it clear, well, that is not true. So if you need to circle that, highlight that, send it to your spouse, feel free. It's God's word. The next section, as he's talking about and really addressing their idea of, well, should you divorce a non-believer? What, what, what should you do? And, and I want to make clear there in verse 15, because I think it really applies to many different situations about marriage and even remarriage or divorce. He says this at the last part, uh, or I'll read the whole verse to you. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart a brother or a sister. Or, excuse me, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. I think that's really a goal of all marriage when we look at things is highlight that, circle that. There should be peace within your marriage, especially if your marriage is to reflect the union of God and the bride, the church, or us. And he made peace with us that your marriage should be at peace. Now, we also know in a practical sense, if you are married, how many of you actually fight from time to time? And I don't mean yell, because some of you, you fight really loud and you don't raise your voice at all. Right? And then some of you, you fight really loud with a very loud voice. It happens. And yet, 
we know God has called us to peace. And so that's part of why we resolve those arguments. We try to find common ground. And sometimes we just have to say there are differences. Andrea likes to squeeze her toothpaste from the top of the toothpaste thing. That's obnoxious. <laughs> She'd say the same thing about me because what do I do? I roll it, squeeze it from the bottom. Amen. Yes, amen. <laughs> Some things are hereditary, aren't they? <laughs> but there are times that there, and I will just to have fun, although once in a while she doesn't find it fun. But like, for example, we were at Bed Bath & Beyond, and we're going through there, and you know, they have those kind of as-seen-on-TV sections. And so there's a section there, and what does it have? It has a toothpaste roller, and where do you roll it from? Not from the top, from the bottom. So what do you think I take that as meaning? It should be from the bottom. It doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're called to peace. So there are times that it doesn't matter. It's just different. The next section there, Paul uh, is addressing them, is kind of ironic. Uh, at least in my mind it is. I don't think he intended it to be. But he now um, comes into uh, verse 17, and he says, But as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. In other words, this is where he's now getting into, look, don't change your status. Don't change who you are, but walk according to what God has called you. And then he starts talking specifically with the examples of circumcision and slavery. It's a little ironic to me that he's talking about marriage and then he throws in slavery. Did he intend that or not? I don't know. But we have heard those jokes for years about being seeing marriage that way, and that's obviously not how God intended it. But what he talks about in that section, and he highlights over and over with the example of if you're circumcised, stay circumcised, obviously. But really he's saying, look, if you're not circumcised, stay uncircumcised. If you are a slave, stay a slave. That was part of their culture. But he doesn't, and some have gotten off in history and said, well, Paul says it's okay. It's not. In fact, he makes it clear in there, but if freedom comes, grab it. And some, some translations say grab it with both hands. But what he's making the point to is, look, just stay kind of as you are. The example is don't, don't fight to change. Don't, don't go to do something totally different. And obviously slavery here in the biblical context in the ancient Near East is different than the world today. People would actually sell themselves into it if they were in debt, to get out of debt. It, it was a different system than the, some of the evils that happened in our country. But here, he's not condoning it, so please hear that. He is saying that if freedom comes, let it come. He's, he's using it as an example to say, look, just stay, stay where you are. Stay where God has placed you. God has a purpose for you. So in verse 17, he's, let me read that again. But as God has distributed each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. And then if you come down to verse 20, he says, let each one remain in the same calling which he has called. And then in verse 24, he comes down and says, brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Do not change your status is what I've titled this because he's making a point to them. He's using the example of being uncircumcised or circumcised of slavery in the ancient Near East versus freedom. And he, he's applying it to really being married or being single. Then in the next section, he, he addresses in verse 25, he says, now concerning virgins. And he goes on and he applies it now to kind of singleness, but what some would consider maybe being engaged. Those are in this in-between state. And he tells them, oh, it's probably better for you to remain 
single. But he says, it's okay if, if you want to get married. In fact, he, he wants to make it clear in verse 28 to them. But he says, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Because even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Because they may, and they have actually been kind of fighting us, thinking that, look, you, you, sh- you shouldn't be married. It's better not to be married. And so part of what he's addressing here is saying, look, it's okay to be married. But it's also okay if you're not. Do not change your status. And so I'm going to go through very quickly kind of five thoughts I have as I've read through this section of Scripture of not changing your status. What does that really mean? What does that mean? How can we apply that even in other areas of our life? So the first is this. Do not change your status means we are to be content. We are to be content. Contentment, according to the dictionary, is a state of happiness or satisfaction. Paul told them that the life the Lord has assigned to you, stay in that. Stay in that life which God has called you. He's really applying that into the realm of singles or being married. We could even say of singleness, uh, singleness may be a choice and that's okay. Singleness may be for a season. Or singleness is, is never really less than anything else. It's important for us as a church to remember because I think from time to time we highlight marriage as if it is the golden standard. And yet if we read through here, it's very hard to say that one is better than the other. It's important for us to remember that. Be content where God has placed you. In fact, uh, I, as someone single for 30-some years of my life, uh, I know people have been single longer that plan on getting married at some point, and there are others that just don't plan on getting married. But part of what you have to understand as a single is you have to be content where God has placed you. The second thought I have is do not on do not change your status. I think it means accepting the place. Obviously, God has us. Accepting the place. Applying that to their slavery versus their freedom. We could say apply that really to your job. Are you content in the job that the Lord has provided for you? Are you content there? Are you always looking for something better? doesn't mean God won't direct you somewhere else, but what is your contentment? Are you okay with that? Or are you always trying to change, always trying to do something different? We probably, probably um, agree with Paul that if freedom comes, find it. So if something better comes along, you're pretty sure this is what the Lord has for me. Pray about it and take it. But don't always be seeking to go somewhere else. God has us in physical places and jobs and different situations for a reason, and we have to be okay with that. The third thought I have on do not change your status is we should not change our status because Jesus gives us all the status we need. That's really what Paul is getting at here. Where are you finding your status? Where where are you saying what makes you important or not important is your status ultimately coming from being a child of God. 1 Corinthians 7, 24 says it like this. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. The most important part. Jesus gives us all the status we need. We have to remain with God. Remember, we are to be joined with him by the spirit of God. And ultimately... Whether you are Jew or not Jew, or whether you are slave or free, or whether you're male or female, we all are to be one in Christ. 
Galatians 3.28. The most important status, again, comes from being in relationship with God through the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Everything else should come after that. Everything else. Number four, do not change your status because we should be thankful for what we have. Part of what we are coming into is the Thanksgiving season. And part of not changing their status, I think, was also to be thankful. Be thankful where God has placed you. Don't, don't be looking always to go somewhere else. Don't always be looking to change your status. But be thankful for where God has you. Number five. Do not change your status because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. In fact, in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I think it illustrates it the best. Paul speaking there says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing Plenty and hunger. See, here he's, he's applying contentment really to food and being in prison. He goes on into verse 13 that I think applies to us today. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, if Jesus is enough, if we really find that our status is based on being a child of God, then it is Jesus who gives us strength for every situation life. We don't look trying to change the places God has called us. We don't look trying to change the situations God has placed us in in the sense of just to change or to do it on our own strength. But what we do is we come and we say, look, my status is important because I am a child of God. I come and I know Jesus is enough for me. When situations are bad, I come and I say, God will strengthen me and God will see me through this. We come and we say, because of Jesus, I can be still in the storm. Because of Jesus, I can be quiet knowing he fights for me. And I think quietness there is sometimes we have to open our mouths, as you learn in OSL 3, and you have to declare God's word. But then there are other times we have to say, we've declared God's word, I'm going to shut my mouth knowing that that word does not return void. It doesn't come back empty. It accomplishes that which God sent it out to accomplish. And so part of not changing our status is coming and saying, look, Jesus is enough for me. doesn't mean things in life won't change doesn't mean there aren't storms, but it's knowing that Jesus is enough for all of us. For the single, for the married, for those in what we would consider difficult situations, as Paul addresses those who have an unbelieving spouse, those are challenging times. God still calls to peace in those homes, but what we come to in the midst of those is knowing Jesus is enough. Thank you for listening to SBCC Weekly. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast as well as give us a like. You can visit us again online at www.sangamonvalley.net.